0: Welcome to the Neighbor's Church podcast and our weekly conversation between my wife, Alexis, and myself. I'm Dan. Uh, Just really happy to be with you today. Let's start this session with a little story from our days in Seattle. We had some dear friends up there, Chris and Mary, and one evening they invited us to go to dinner. And they were going to take us to this fine dining restaurant that had been raved about in all the reviews. It was a tapas place. Mind you, at the time, I didn't know what tapas was, and so as they just talked this place up one side and down the other, I found myself getting more and more and more excited because I love food, especially really good food, especially a lot of really good food. So we made our way up to where the restaurant was, got parked and after a long wait in a line where anticipation in my heart built because there were so many people crammed into this little tapas place. We finally got there and I began looking at the menu and immediately I was like, oh boy, those are expensive plates. Well, it's going to be delicious. It's going to be glorious. And we ordered our first plate of tapas. And when the first plate came out, I was shocked (laughs) <laughs> it was two tiny little duck legs. Like, don't think chicken legs. Think chicken legs, but, like, little mini ones. And there was two of them. Mind you, there were four full-grown adults. And this little plate of duck legs had cost me 30 bucks. So I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, it's fine dining. Uh, these duck legs are going to be delicious. We each scraped off one bite from these tiny little duck legs. And then I began to realize, as Chris and Mary were sharing what a tapas restaurant was, that we were going to do this over and over through the evening. We were going to purchase multiple plates. And I thought, well, obviously this was an appetizer. So I saw some sort of pasta, Mediterranean-ish dish, and I thought, well, let's try that one. And we ordered it, of course, for 30 bucks. And what came out was just this little kind of third cup of pasta with like two capers on it and then a nicely sliced Grape tomato right next to that, and I'm telling you, I I have never been so disappointed in my life. And after about two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars of these plates, I was still starving. I was actually raging mad. I could not figure out why so many people were crammed into this place. I knew they were all faking it. I looked at Chris and I was like, Chris, I love you guys, but I'm still hungry. Can we just run over to Dick's and grab some cheeseburgers? And that was the only thing that saved the night. Now here. Here's the big idea for today. I had really been set up for failure because my expectations of a tapas place did not align with reality.
1: (laughs) Well, it would have been helpful if you would have known your expectations would have been in alignment if you had known that tapas means like small (laughs) place. Yeah.
0: (laughs) If somebody would have just said, Dan, look, I want to set you up well for your (laughs) evening— You're going to pay 30 bucks for literally tapas, small plates. If somebody would have said that, I probably would have had the wherewithal to be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to grab some cheeseburgers from Dick's.
1: So that's our conversation topic for the day. Expectations. How do we manage expectations with what's actually happening in reality? Uh, What do we do when we don't meet the expectations we set on ourselves and that others can set on us or... What do we do when we actually have expectations that we've placed on others and they fail us? And then more deeply and a little more pointed is how do we handle um, the feeling of broken expectation and lost expectation when God doesn't meet those expectations? And so it's a dense topic. Um, We'll only be scratching the surface, but... This is a good launch point, uh, we believe, for your own thinking and your own conversations on this.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no way we're gonna be able to address this. Alexis and I have been talking about our own expectations for years now. Both met expectations, failed expectations. We've often had to visit moments in our relationship where one of us had an expectation of the other, that the other had no clue about, and then obviously that expectation wasn't met, and it resulted in what we call a train wreck, a moment of conflict that leads to conversation, that leads to health in relationship. (laughs) So what we want to do is just start by acknowledging this, the expectations that we all have as humans that's a normal and a good part of being human. In the bitter and cynical age that we live in, there can become a sense that, well, I just shouldn't have any expectations. Or I should set the bar so low for the expectations in my life that if and when those expectations are exceeded, I can celebrate. But I'm certainly not going to set the bar too high. That's not actually a healthy way to live our lives. And this is why biologically and neurologically, we are hardwired as creatures to future caste. Um, Our brains, the human brain, is what it is because it is a pattern discerning machine. In other words, uniquely in all of the kingdom of God's creation, humans draw conclusions from the patterns that they observe in the external world around them, and then it's we humans alone that are able to plan and prepare for future patterns based on the prior patterns, and that creates expectation. That creates movement forward. Expectation is how we actually move forward and make progress as a species, as a community. And so, this thing of being human and future casting and pattern watching and making conclusions, it makes us unique from all other creatures. I know that you may think your dog is the most <laughs> brilliant dog in all of the world, but I can almost assure you all that little puppy is thinking about is the present moment when he wants food or to go poop in the neighbor's yard. That's about the extent of it.
1: You know, really from the beginning of life, we... Observe creation. When you look at created order, how God structured day and night, um, seasons, uh, there is this um, observation that we can draw, this this conclusion that we can draw. We have our seasons fall, winter, spring, summer. We see this cyclical pattern, um, and those patterns create a sense of expectation. I can think of so many times um, in the bleak of winter in Idaho, growing up in Idaho, where during those winter months, especially when you get to January, February, all you can do is have this expectation, this anticipation for spring to burst forth, this new life to burst forth.
0: And I can tell you there's nothing more devastating than having lived in Seattle for almost 11 years and Every single summer you would think, okay, it's spring and the rain's going to be coming to a close. But then May would roll around and it's still gray and raining. And then June, and I remember one year in Seattle, it was literally raining all through the entire summer. And all of my expectations sent me spiraling into a deep depression.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All that to say, you guys, having expectation is part of being human and it's not wrong to have them. Um, The issue, here's the real issue, when our expectations are wrong. Through this time where we have been isolated, we've all been quarantined, many of our expectations and plans and goals have really toppled over. Um, We've been reminded that we really don't have control over anything. Now, certainly uh, as humans, it's wise to plan. It's prudent to prepare. Um, We can be strategic and we can even have expectations for how those plans and those strategies are going to turn out. But COVID um, has really been the variable that most all of us didn't expect. And so through this um, season that we've been in as Jesus followers, we're being gifted with time and space to reevaluate our expectations. What expectations are harming us? What expectations are creating pressure that honestly just need to be let go of? And and from there, we can really reorient ourselves around what is true and holy expectation.
0: Holy expectation. That's a term I think we all need to be meditating on. Holy. Something, expectation that is set aside. Um, Future planning with hands wide open to God to set aside for us a future that we don't get to determine. And I want to develop this idea. Uh, I think we'll focus this podcast conversation on unmet expectations um, centered in our relationship with God. Everything else flows out of that. Unmet expectations um, in our relationships with other humans, or when we have failed their expectations, that all flows out of what we believe God is doing in us and our relationships. And so I think we'll just take this time and focus on that particular aspect. What do we do? Like when we feel like God, our good father, you know, we have these expectations. We have these patterns in the scriptures. We have these things that we can observe, the contours of the way that God works. And then we make plans according to that. And then as the future unfolds, it looks nothing like what we had expected. What do we do with that? And so it's very disorienting, first of all. We have to confess that. It's disorienting because it creates an unsurety of what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. And really what that is, what's, what's really happening emotionally and mentally in that moment of disorientation is we are losing our sense of control. And what I'm, what I'm going to propose is that's not a bad thing. This disorientation, when our expectations aren't met, when it doesn't come through the way that we thought it would, it really can create some severe doubt and some fear and some mistrust. Uh, I'd invite you to join us this Sunday for sure. Uh, one of our teachers is going to be leading us through John the Baptist's time when he was in prison at the end of his life. And he had expectations of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do. And I don't think John had written into his journal in his quiet times, and I expect to be in jail and then beheaded by a 13-year-old stripper. I mean, that's what happens to John at the end of his life. It's horrifying. And so sometimes if we, if we press our expectations, if we hold God hostage, in other words, to the expectations that we had for him to fulfill for us, in the process of being disoriented, if we begin to shake our fist and dig in our heels and say, you know, you fulfill this expectation as I mapped it out, it can create that cynicism that our culture is just plagued with and a real anger. So if any of this is is hitting home with you in, in any measure, at any level, I want you to be encouraged. This is not condemnation. I'm sharing with you my own story, my wife's story, our story. And what we know to be true is that in these disorienting times, where there's this rising doubt or fear or even mistrust, or even if you begin to hedge over into cynicism and anger, this is where God is doing such a profound work in our souls. It is something very deep and very sacred, something to be embraced, it is something precious. My spiritual director and therapist, Rich Plass, when I first began meeting with him in the earliest days, and I was really a mental and emotional train wreck, I would have these moments of just anger and these moments of just, you know, as you do with a therapist, you just let him have it because you have nobody else to talk to. And I'd finish whatever it was I was ranting about or crying about. And Rich would very calmly say to me, you know, Dan, your father's healing you. (laughs) It just would infuriate me at the time. But all these years later, I'm beginning to learn and see how these disorienting times are times of healing.
1: You know, we set out in our life wanting to obey God. We want to do His will, but often we don't realize that we've attached a blueprint of, of what the will is, so to speak. We have this blueprint of a certain outcome that we're expecting to result from our obedience to God. And then from that point, it's like we have to recognize and we have to concede that the blueprint of our outcomes that we're handing to God is really us sitting on the throne of our lives, us saying, here's what's going to happen in our life. Um, And Jesus, we want you to submit to our, our blueprint. And that's not real submission to Jesus as king of our lives. It's subtle, but this changes the father-child dynamic in our relationship with him. Like we talked about last week, it becomes this bargaining kind of relationship. It's like a business deal where God is expected to meet our consumer demands. You know, I'd love to share just real-time example from our own life what it's been like church planting um, in a global pandemic. Because I can tell you, as church planters, you kind of have a blueprint. You have a little idea of, like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Yeah,
0: I'm literally, like, tomorrow I'm writing my very last paper for my master's degree, a Master of Divinity from Western Seminary. And I'm telling you, nobody gave us a class for expected outcomes on how to church plant in a global pandemic.
1: It has really been crazy. Um and I'd like to say that Dan and I went into this whole plant with open hands and yielded hearts um to how the spirit wanted to move and to shape things and for the most part I really feel like we have had that posture. Yeah, for sure. But still never. I mean never ever would we have expected 6 months into planting neighbors church that we weren't going to be able to gather face to face for quite some time. Uh, we never would have expected that our gathering location would suddenly not be available for the foreseeable future. Um, You know, we wouldn't have expected that as we're building this church out and gaining momentum, it's all those, you know, those things that in church planning you're supposed to be doing, gaining momentum, all that. Uh, We never would have expected that it would have come to just this complete halt. And so really we've been forced to reevaluate our expectations. We've been brought to this place where all we can do is yield. All we can do is is listen and seek and ask and knock. And rather than running ahead with pushing for what we want, we're honestly trying to realign our expectations to this new reality we're in.
0: Hey. You know, my brilliant wife, can I just highlight something that she said? She said, we have been brought, Psalm 23, we have been made to lay down in this place. And then she said, where all we can do is yield, listen, seek, ask, and knock. Now, how many of those things align with a biblical model of apprenticeship to Jesus? Every single one of them. And it's as if our father in this time... We had expectations of moving, shaping, growing, building momentum, all the things that we talk about in the church planting world. And yet in the grace of our father, he has chosen for this time to allow all of creation essentially to come to a stop so that we as church planters and you, our listeners can yield, listen, seek, ask, and knock. And while COVID is horrible, That is a truly healing work. That's a truly intimate work that's developing in us because of that. That's profound to me.
1: Yeah, And it's important to note that we're not just resigning ourselves to not having any expectations. That's really not possible. Um, Like we said, our brains are wired to future cast. It's all we really can do. We always are thinking in towards the future. Um, But instead we're putting away our blueprint of outcomes and we're reframing our expectations anew and afresh through the lens of God. And so things we are expecting, well, we're expecting God to be present and working during this season. We're expecting God to provide um, what He deems best. We're expecting God to give wisdom and a path forward as we wait. It's things like that. Does it look super clear? No. (laughs) Do we have our three steps to successful church planting in a global pandemic? Uh,
0: I'm going to write that book. I'm almost done with school. I'm going to do it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely not. But that's how God gets to be God and we get to be his kids. And that's honestly a wonderful and a safe place to be. He's a safe refuge for us. And oftentimes, when we realign our expectations with God, it doesn't make sense to ourselves, or oftentimes it doesn't make sense to even those who are watching because we're now operating on a whole different plane. We're not moving according to our own wisdom and ability to future cast. We're moving to the subtle contours of God's all knowingness of the future. And this is true, this is present intimate partnership with the Holy Spirit. Our prayer is no longer, okay, God, here's our blueprint of outcomes. Now, please do all these things in your name. It's not us taking hostage with of God with our expectations. It's us yielding and surrendering to God. And it's so much more um, Jesus accomplishing his work today. Um, it's us becoming aware of his guidance in every moment. And it's us saying, all right, the outcome is yours. And in that we want to rejoice. And so we're really living fully into Ephesians 2.10. You know, we are his workmanship. We are this poem being written as we go.
0: Yeah, it brings to mind two authors of a generation gone by that are hugely influential in my life in the present moment. Uh, Frank Laubach being one of them. He was a uh, missionary on this tiny little island out in the middle of nowhere for most of his life, terribly lonely, but he developed a practice that he called the Game of Minutes, wherein rather than future casting and giving his you know, blueprint of outcomes to God to bless, he just developed this practice of living in the present moment with Jesus, allowing Jesus to guide his thoughts in the present moment, and um, his... His letters were recorded by and then put into this small little devotional book called Letters by a Modern Mystic. Highly recommend it. And the other other author that um, some of you are going to be really familiar with, but not all of his works, um, is Oswald Chambers. Many of us cut our teeth on Chambers devotionals when somebody handed it to us. Incredible, incredible man of God. And many people don't know that Chambers actually started a college and has many, many works out there that are all worth reading. I was perusing through some of his stuff recently, and I came across this quote around expectation and obeying God and then it going south uh, and how to handle that and what that actually means for the saint who wants to serve God in holiness. So Chambers wrote this. He said, when God gives a vision and then darkness follows, wait. Just, Just think on that for a moment. Just don't rush past that too quickly Listen friend God has given you a call and a vision expectation future outcome that looks good and hope giving and and good doing in the world and yet all of a sudden it's dark and you don't know which way to turn or who to look to or where to get help or how to strategize you can't do anything but yield and seek and pray and listen That's what Chambers says. When God gives a vision and darkness follows, he says, wait. God will bring you into accordance with the vision he has given if you will wait his time. Now we try, Chambers goes on and he says, we try to do away with the supernatural in God's undertakings. And then he warns us, Chambers warns us, never try and help God fulfill his word. There are some things we cannot do, and that is one of them. Now, this is the quote I wanted to get to this piece. Chambers says, certainty of God, meaning when you're utterly certain that you're following and trusting God, means uncertainty in life. I know that's paradoxical, but Chambers is saying, when we place all of our certainty and trust in God, sometimes what that will result in is complete uncertainty in how our life is unfolding. Then he contrasts that, saying, While certainty in belief makes us uncertain of God, that's a complicated sentence, but he's going to go on and say, certainty is the mark of the common sense life. Gracious uncertainty is the mark of the spiritual life, and they must both go together. Again, complicated, but what Chambers is saying, distilled down, is when we place our faith in our common sense and what makes sense and what we can strategize and what we can come up with in our own wisdom— In some sense, that diminishes our faith in God. But when God grants us what Chambers calls gracious uncertainty, that is the mark of the spiritual life. And I think if you're doing dishes right now or if you're driving, I would just encourage you somehow pause and reflect on this season of gracious uncertainty as many of our expectations have been dashed to the ground, and the house of cards that we've all been living in is just crumbling around us. Chambers says, and I think he's in alignment with St. Paul and Jesus himself, that the spiritual life is now being lived in this radical, complete and total commitment to God and his future blueprint, that Ephesians 2.10 poem, poema, workmanship, that he's writing into our lives right now
1: more than ever, I've just been reminded how we do have a certain hope. We do have a holy expectation that will be fulfilled. And honestly, um, the promise of what is to come is sometimes really all that I can find sure ground in during uncertain times. Um, in Romans 8, 19-23, it says that, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have, been, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. All of creation is longing. All of creation is waiting and hoping. And we wait with this eager expectation for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God to be fully realized on earth as it is in heaven. And this really is holy expectation. It's this longing for the restoration of humanity with God and with one another. It's this longing for peace on earth, for equality, for redemption, all of the wrong finally, meet, fi- finally being made right. Um, I found this article that Tim Keller wrote on the Gospel Coalition. And it was about this topic, about expectation, and this passage of Scripture in Romans. And in it, Tim Keller quotes, "...a glory is coming that will be so blindingly powerful that when it falls on us, it will envelop the whole created order and glorify it along with us. We will bring nature with us into a renewed, restored, redeemed reality." Our Sonship will be publicly revealed and acknowledged, and we will finally and fully be conformed to the likeness of the Son. We will be as perfectly holy as Christ and as dazzlingly beautiful as He is. That's what glory is. Honestly, for me, right now in this season, that hope is all that I can cling to, that expectation of what will happen. It will be that moment where our deepest longing and expectation will be fulfilled.
0: The mystery of all of this, too, is that Keller and my wife are using future tense. But Christian theology is not pie-in-the-sky hope. It's Mm -hmm. not something that only sits out there somewhere. And so right now in this present moment, we bring in the holy expectation of resurrection the holy expectation right now actually of a future all wrong being made right all injustice being swept from the earth that that future expectation though it is not yet in full it has broken into the world theologians like to say Christ inaugurated this kingdom with the incarnation we now bring that future Present, that future hope into the present. And what we do is we expect to see the very subtle contours of that future kingdom in the present moment. We learn to align our present life with those future expectations. The contours of our lives presently begin to take shape around the ideals of the kingdom, which means that in this moment of gracious uncertainty, we are allowed, we are privileged, we are given opportunity to more deeply trust in our Father than we ever have. To, in the present moment, as we will in the kingdom come, live so intimately, so, so relationally with Him, that we truly heed the words of Jesus, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Today, we seek the kingdom of God. And that, my friends, is an expectation that is certain. Mm-hmm. It is concrete. It is unwavering. It is unchanging. It is a foundation and a goal upon which we can build the entirety of our lives. And everything else that comes into that can come or go. We have this holy, sacred certainty in this time of gracious uncertainty. So we'll leave you with that. Let this season of gracious uncertainty build into you a holy expectation that exceeds your wildest imaginations, just as Paul promised it would be so in Ephesians chapter three, as he prayed for that little church in Ephesus, that the love of God would so fill our hearts and overflow us that we would know the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of this grand and loving God. And that whatever we ask, he will exceed our wildest imaginations in it. This is what this time of uncertainty can lead to that holy expectation of the contours of the kingdom, future, in this present moment. Shalom, friends.
1: Shalom.